Hey, Kevin Draves here with The Howl for Diamond Box Bluetooth Speakers. I got to tell you, I play basketball at the gym down the road for me all the time. And sometimes I go late at night. I bring my Diamond Box. And now they're introducing three new systems. The new L2, XL2, and M2 all feature stereo sound by themselves or split stereo sound with wireless syncing of two units for a live sound experience. Loud enough for any environment. And I kid you not, you could play this at low volume and you'll hear it in any room of your house. This is the most powerful Bluetooth boombox speaker on the market today. Check them out on Twitter at Diamond Box Co. That's box with two X's, Diamond Box Co. Tonight, you folks at home and we here in the Coliseum will watch history in the making. The first game ever for the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's the fifth pick in the 1995 NBA draft. The Minnesota Timberwolves select Kevin Garnett from Farragut Academy in Chicago. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to the Western Conference Finals. Happy birthday, Kevin Garnett. From the den, this is The Howl. We would like to welcome you to the Nothing But Net channel here on Dash Radio. Nothing But Net is a channel like no other featuring all teams and all topics on everybody's favorite sport, basketball. The Howl is also a proud member of CLNS Media Network and can be found on clnsmedia.com as well as Podient, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. The Howl is also produced with thanks to our wonderful supporting partners, Rhyme Sayers Entertainment, the pinnacle of underground hip-hop worldwide, Studio 23, where passion reigns supreme, and Isabel Street Heat, adding a bit of spice into your everyday life. All audio equipment on The Howl is brought to you by Rode Microphones, studio quality with easy accessibility since 1967. All right, so today we are going to review that glorious basketball game that was the Timberwolves versus the San Antonio Spurs from a few nights ago. Absolutely fantastic. If you have not watched it, I promise you, you're going to want to find a way to watch the highlights at a minimum. This game was a lot of fun. You know, follow me at the Sportsman. Uh, if you want to take a look at, I did send out a few highlights, at least uh, specifically uh, Josh Akogi and Andrew Wiggins' highlights. Um, both of them, you know, had some good games here. But for just for a couple specific examples, definitely follow me on tri- Twitter. One thing we are going to do a little differently on this week's show, or this 
this specific show is while we're going through the game review from the Spurs game in the background I actually have the simulation right now so I'm watching it live in the in the background here of the tonight's game between the Celtics and the Timberwolves so it's actually being simulated but you know actually watching the game flow through uh, NBA 2k so far uh, you know we're just not even a minute in and Celtics are up uh, two games to none now this is not only using 2k19 this is using the uh, the 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 feature where it's called the NBA Today. So it's the up-to-date rosters, up-to-date injuries. So this is going to be, um, you know, as good a simulation as you're going to get. Uh, the one the one caveat, of course, is that some of the Timberwolves are playing a lot better currently than their actual overall rankings are concerned. So that would be the only thing to keep in mind when uh, we update you kind of throughout this episode. Because we'll kind of go through while we're doing the uh, the game review and, and update you on how the simulation is going. Again, so far... Celtics up two game or two to nothing early on. So, taking a look specifically at this Spurs Wolves game, honestly, one of the best Wolves games I've ever seen. To be quite honest, I mean, obviously you have all those amazing games when Garnett was here, but it's been a long time since we had good basketball in Minnesota. I mean, really good basketball, and this game was absolutely fantastic. To start it off, one thing I've noticed as of late, well, not even as of late, but this has been a consistent problem for the Timberwolves, and it still is to some extent, although they're playing at such a high level, it's not hurting us as much currently. And that's specifically Jeff Teague dribbling. He has a tendency to dribble just way too much at times, and there were just a few stretches in this game as well where all of a sudden you have Jeff Teague just taking over, not necessarily in a good way, just dribbling around. And I I remember one play specifically you know, he dribbles around, he's spinning, he's doing this and that. He gets kind of makes his way to the hoop and then just gets rejected at the rim and the ball goes out of bounds. Now, I think we end up scoring on that possession, but the point still stands. If you ask Wolves fans that are actually in the know, you know, that are really into Timberwolves basketball or into basketball in general, they understand Jeff Teague's probably the one player that the Wolves, if they could move him, it would probably make a lot of sense because if you could start Jeff, or if you could start Tyus Jones instead of Jeff Teague, and then you still had Rose coming off the bench, I just think it makes your team that much better. But going off of this game specifically, just that's one of the few negatives we're going to talk about in this one. Jumping into the telecast specifically, we got a cool nickname from Dave Benz in this one, and that's uh, in reference to Robert Covington, and that's Glovington. He's such a good defender. You know, Jim Peterson pointed out. How this is a guy that, you know, one of the few players in the league that you actually want reaching in. Most players aren't able to reach in effectively, and uh, Robert Glovington is. It, it seems like he just times things really well. And that's actually starting to trickle down to the rest of his teammates. Uh, Jeff Teague had a number of really fantastic steals in this game, including some one-on-one work. That's one area I feel like he's struggled quite a bit. He just seems to get beat a lot. One thing you'll realize with bad defenders is... Some of, sometimes you get players that just don't have the effort, you know, like like a Kevin Martin. When he was with the Timberwolves, he really struggled with the effort aspect of it. I don't necessarily think that Jeff Teague struggles with effort. Some of it is going to be the way you do things, and it's going to be more than just effort. So Jeff Teague in this game, I really felt like the way he went about his business on the defensive end was much better. Uh, one thing you can watch for, if you ever see a player getting beat pretty consistently off the dribble, let's say in one-on-one situations, or even, let's say, post-switch. Now, sometimes, of course, you have a guard, and let's say there's a switch, you have a guard, and he's going up against a big man. But one thing you can do 
to really help with playing one-on-one defense against someone that's much faster than you, or even if they just have a faster first step. One thing to keep in mind is if whatever direction they go, instead of going lateral, going to the side, the first step you should make is backwards. So if you're guarding a guy, and let's say he's left-hand dominant, if he goes to the left, your first step should be that your right foot and your right leg moves backwards as opposed to moving side to side. You see this problem a lot in the NFL where defenders will go to try to get to where a player is as opposed to where he's going to be. And when you're a defender, in many cases, you just, the, the key is going to be your form. And so if you take that leg, that's, so if the person's going towards their dominant hand or either hand, you want to make sure you move your one leg back first as opposed to moving, trying to move with the defender. Because if you move back first, what you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to slide at more of an angle and you're going to be able to cut them off from going to the basket. So that's just a, you know, a piece of reference to watch for when you're watching these Wolves games. But again, in this game specifically, Jeff Teague, I got to give the guy a shout out because he was fantastic on the defensive end. And part of that, we talk about chemistry and we talk about just team effort, team switching. It's been night and day since Jimmy Butler was gone. So something to watch for going forward. Early on, it was pretty clear that Wiggins was a focal point. Tom Thibodeau said to himself, we got to get Wiggins more involved. Early on, we got to try to get him some easy looks. And they did that. You know, they tried to get him looks inside. It was definitely more apparent in this game than some of the others that Andrew Wiggins was the, the focal point. You know, some games I think there's a little bit of a struggle to get him involved necessarily. Uh, you know, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, as they say. And so I think it's important to get Wiggins not only involved, but to get him involved inside. So getting him inside looks. I felt in this game... It, you got a lot less of those really crappy Wiggins mid-range shots. In fact, there was a sequence uh, towards the end of, I believe it was the first quarter, and Andrew Wiggins had the ball, and he was dribbling at the top of the key as the clock was winding down, and Jim Peterson pointed out how end-of-clock situations, Andrew Wiggins you know, dribbling out or ha- being the ball, ball controller had not worked out well. And in this instance, instead of settling for a long two like he tends to do sometimes where he kind of does a dribble and then a step back, what he did here was he actually took a, a good open three-point shot, buried it, and immediately Jim Peterson like, yes, that's so much better. And so that's something we got to watch for is Wiggins needs to keep taking those steps. And again, it's going to be a process. But not only is it going to be a process on the offensive end, it's going to be a process on the defensive end. Now, Wiggins doesn't have an excuse physically. And I know some people like to call him out on his effort. I don't, I don't ever feel like with Wiggins it's necessarily effort. He just isn't a high-motor personality, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, like when I'm playing basketball, I'm very high-motor. I get into the game. Uh, I tend to get kind of aggressive. I'll, I'll do some talking both to my teammates, to the other team. I, I really, really get into it. And, and Wiggins, that's not necessarily him. Now, are there plays out there? Go watch some highlights of Wiggins. There's some plays out there where he'll dunk over a guy, and he gets pumped. But normally that's not who he is. But in this game specifically, I was very, very impressed And again, I talked about how on Twitter I did send out a clip of his defense. And there's this one clip, and it's absolutely fantastic. And if if Wiggins can continue to do this, now granted, it's one play. But in this game, he was able to shut down DeRozan very, very effectively. I was very impressed with uh, the work that he put in there. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. Wiggins is trending in the right direction. I know a lot of people are real hard on Wiggins, and I get it. I understand that. Now, there's very few of us on the Wiggins bandwagon, but I'm definitely one of those people that is a, a true believer. I do think he's going to take those next steps this season. And 
it's going to be more games like this. On top of that, too, early on in the game, he was on the offensive end, able to get to the line a few more times. And statistically in his career, you know, he used to be really good pre-Butler mostly at getting to the line, and he needs to get back to that. I think it's going to be very important that he gets free throw attempts. You know, I, I wanted to say they talked about in this broadcast, he used to be close to you know, six-something uh, free throw attempts a game. We need to get him back to something more than that. But early on in this one, he got to the line a few times, and that was good. And on the season as a whole, you can definitely tell he's been working on his free throws because those have definitely been improving, and we just hope that that continues. Uh, Looking, by the way, at our simulation game, we are uh, second quarter just started. Boston is ahead 12-10. to So, so far, so good. Uh, a pretty good game. Uh, Derrick Rose looks like he's uh, one of the leading scorers at 14 – or, sorry, four points. Um on a, you know, two makes. So it's a good start for Derrick Rose, uh, very similarly to the game against the Spurs. If we talk about, uh, you know, this is the perfect transition into talking about not only Derrick Rose, but Tyus Jones. Those guys together have been absolutely fantastic. They have been a fantastic duo. You know, specifically looking at Tyus Jones, you know, his plus minus is incredible. He just always seems to be a positive in games, always finds a way just to get, the job done. And, and it's so impressive. I'm not sure that he's the three-point shooter that he was last year at times. You know, he seemed to be a pretty reliable three-point shooter last year. He's not shooting much this year. That That is down. But in general, obviously, Tyus Jones is making a, is a positive impact. Moving on to Derrick Rose more so, what a fantastic three-point shooter. You know, it's, it's pretty tough. You know, they talked about in the broadcast, Dave Benz did, that most improved player and the sixth man of the year are awards that Rose has a good shot at. Now, I had someone else point this out to me, and it's a valid point that generally most improved goes to younger players. But it's not too common you have a guy go through what Derrick Rose went through on the court in terms of injuries and whatnot, having to fight through everything, and then to do what he's doing now. There's an article out there, I believe it's by Hoops Habit, that specifically references just how good Derrick Rose has been and how arguably... This season, he's actually been better than he, had, than he was in his MVP season. So just uh, food for thought, but specifically looking at the three-point line, I am absolutely floored by how good he has been from the three-point line. I mean, he's shooting in the 50 percentile, absolutely incredible percentage-wise. So many makes, so much to like from Derrick Rose this season, and I hope he keeps it up. There, there, you know, there was one specific play I noticed, and, and you talk about how good the Wolves' defense have been. There was a play, it was, it was Derek Rose and it was Gorgie Jang. And they set a screen on Rose, and Rose really kind of got stuck in no man's land. And what he couldn't decide is whether he should switch or whether he should stay with his own man. And as a result, you have Gorgie Jang basically trying to guard two different players. And as you can imagine, it did not go well, and, and, the, and they were able to score the Spurs. So that's going to be one thing I'm going to keep watching for. I think Rose puts a hell of an effort in on defense. I just he's his form. He's just not that skilled on that end, but it seems like he's improving. And I don't feel like he's this net negative um, that some people do. So it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to continue to improve on that end. But offensively, it'd be tough to do more if you're Derrick Rose. And really on the court, you know, one of the best players. I know some people think he's the second or third best player on the team currently, and that tells you a lot. Averaging uh, over 20 points a game, so much to like about him. And if as long as Jeff Teague is here to stay, and I think that's going to be a long time, I don't see him going around anytime soon. Look for Tyus and Rose to continue to be a force off the bench as a really good combination. You know, in this during this telecast, they cut over to some clips they had from uh, I believe it was Shooter on that day, 
and it was you had a one interview with uh, Carl Towns, and you had one interview with Robert Covington. And what was really funny was in both those interviews, uh, the first one being Carl Towns, Robert Covington jumps in, grabs a mic, and asks Carl Towns a question, and then vice versa. You had Towns doing an interview, and Rocco jumps in and is asking him a question. So uh, pretty pretty interesting there. Uh, watching the dichotomy between those two players, the chemistry those two players have already is off the charts. There's talk about how after games, um, apparently those two go out to dinner quite a bit. <clears throat> so that's pretty cool that you're seeing early on how important chemistry is. And, you know, I've been talking about this for years now. People just don't understand how important chemistry is. You know, I coached, and it made a huge difference when it came to guys that had played together before, uh, guys that were friends. I always look at this when you're drafting players, whether it be the NBA, whether it be the NFL, whatever sport you're looking at, when you have a chance to draft not only um, a really good player, but let's say you have a chance to draft a really good player plus a friend of theirs or maybe like a, a roommate or someone that they've worked with in another capacity that they have a good chemistry with, I just think it makes a world of difference. And I think that the Towns-Covington relationship is going to be crucial going forward. And it just shows you uh, the big difference between what the Wolves are doing now and what the Wolves are doing when Butler was here. And there was not even a lack of chemistry. It was almost like a negative chemistry. So it's it's a huge step in the right direction. And we need that to continue for this uh, continued success. Again, the Wolves are, the I believe, the number one defense basically since Jimmy Butler was gone. They are now sitting at 7-2 and two since the trade happened. So very, very impressive. And they were able to get back to 500. Historically, this team, when they've been below 500 and they've really gotten, and when I say below, I mean like, you know, below 500, which is what they were, they, they struggled to get back to that. And, and even to get into a winning record, and, and they were able to do that. And that's what makes this win just that much more impressive. You know, watch the end of the, if you, if you haven't already, and you probably know what I'm talking about if you did watch this game, but the end of the first quarter, anyone that knows me, I am a little quick to blame officials. You know, I have friends that are officials, and there are good refs out there, 100%. There are, there are people out there that are really good referees. I think the NBA struggles at times because I think a lot of their refs are actually quite poor. I, I do think that. And at first, Dario Saric is, is it's in transition. He's not even necessarily, like, he's kind of guarding Mills. Mills just throws his body into, into Saric, completely creates the contact himself. And it's not like, it's not as though Saric was stopped and trying to grab a charge. He was kind of off to the side a little bit. So he's defending, but he's defending without fouling. Mills clearly throws his body into Saric. He gets the foul call and the and one. Jim Peterson jumps in and he's like, how is that possible that that's a foul? What, what is Sarge supposed to do there when Patty Mills creates all that contact? And I completely agree with that. Not only was that pathetic, but then we go down the floor and Tyus Jones races up to get a shot off, gets completely like body checked, clearly a foul, and there's no call. So I think part of the issue people have with NBA referees is the fact that they just refuse to be consistent, even not even game to game, but like quarter to quarter or play to play. You'll have the exact same play happen on one end, and then when it happens on the other end, nothing, no whistle, or or you get a, you get no whistle on this end, and then you go to the other end, the same play happens, and there's a whistle. I think a lot of the problem people have is just consistency, and that's something I think the NBA still needs to work on. But again, you know, later in the game, there's a play where I'm watching and. I thought for sure it was off of the other team. I thought for sure it went off the Spurs' leg. And the referee, 
goes, no, 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 nope. It was clearly off you guys talking to the Timberwolves. And they go to replay, and he was correct. So I will credit them in the fact that sometimes they can get those bang-bang plays correct. But, man, uh, consistency just doesn't seem to be there yet, and that's unfortunate. Uh, Taking a look, by the way, back at our simulation that's going on in the background, 24-20 at halftime, the Celtics are beating the Timberwolves. So a close game. Hopefully the Wolves are a second-half team in this scenario. It would be nice to see them pull out a victory. You know, one thing I will comment on, not specifically just in this game, but just in general the last few games, Gorgie Jang is back. Gorgie Jang is starting to look like the player we saw before. You know, he's, he's active on the defensive end. He's able to make passes. He's able to hit open shots. You know, I remember beginning of last year, or even like two years ago, I guess more so, when he was a starter, and when he took a mid-range shot, you pretty much knew it was going in. You were very, very confident when Gorgie Jang was shooting. It's not, it has not been the case. It was not the case last year as he had a very down year, and that's part of the reason why people are so sour on him and that contract he signed. But, man, he looks good now. He's starting to shoot better. He's taking charges again. He's blocking shots. He's being active on both sides of the court. And if we're getting that Gorgie Jang, while, yes, he's still overpaid, no question, at least that contract is a lot better. And down the road, if you do decide to trade him, maybe that contract isn't as nuclear as it is right now. So that's what you continue to hope for is that he continues to be able to be consistent and, and be able to you know, be a force on both ends of the court, whether it's, uh, being pos- whether it's just being positive and, and making plays or actually being able to score, being able to put statistics up. One, one interaction that Jim Peterson talked about near where, where those guys uh, do the game at the Wolves games, there was an interaction a few games ago between uh, Rocco and Jang. And there was a, you know, Gorgie Jang had, had made a great play, and he had really helped springboard this team into uh, taking the lead. And Rocco pulls him aside and says, Jang, you did that. You're the one that got us back in this game. It was you. You're the one that put that did that offensive thing, or you're the one that did that positive thing. You're the one that got us into this position. And Jim Peterson talked about it. It almost seems like ever since then, just that confidence, that belief that Robert Covington showed into Gorgie Jang made such a huge difference. And I think that's part of the problem people have with Tom Thibodeau is at times he's so angry and he's so you know outspoken, you sometimes have to wonder if he truly believes in his players. He, you have to wonder at a certain point if maybe he's got to be a little more positive. You know, I've coached. I coached for a number of years. And there were times when I was negative. There were times when I was uh, you know, overly positive. But I will say that I feel like my success as a coach was generally tied to positivity. I do think that being a positive coach can have a much better impact. Not, not everyone. There are some players out there, I think, that do respond well to negativity or at least just like being told where to be, you know, being, being pushed, being yelled at. Uh, you know, pushed and being being put in those right situations and, and kind of that effort. Now, I don't know that anyone's I don't know that anyone is better, you know, given how Tom Thibodeau does just screaming nonstop. But there's definitely something there for certain players where they're able to uh, grow when it comes to that stuff. Taking a look back at our simulation that's going on in the background, there's a minute 36 left in the Minnesota Boston game. Minnesota is winning by 10. So it's uh, looking like the Timberwolves in this simulation at least are going to take the win. That's actually my prediction for the game. You know, this simulation aside, I just think you have teams that are playing uh, different uh, positive versus negative basketball right now. Wolves are just in a better spot currently than the the Celtics. Now, come back at me in a few months and we'll talk differently maybe. I mean, who knows what's going to happen for the future of these two teams. But right now, 
I think we're playing them at a good time, and I think the Wolves do end up taking this one, especially given that it is at home. Going back to the game uh, we're talking about here, though, the Spurs and the Wolves, one thing they talked about during the telecast, and this happened two specific times, and I'm going to start watching to see how often this happens, but guys putting Wiggins in bad situations, throwing him the ball with you know two, three seconds left on the shot clock, when he just has to throw up a shot, they, they mentioned it's kind of like throwing the guy a grenade, and I, I, think, that's, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I look at it as almost like a hot potato. Like, I don't want it. You, you take it. You take it. That's just a recipe for disaster for anyone you throw it to. But for Wiggins, who has maybe struggled a bit shooting more recently, I think it's going to be important to not put him in situations like that. And we need more of the Tom Thibodeau putting Wiggins in a position to succeed, especially inside, because that's definitely where we're trying to get him to go. Uh, a few more notes here. Josh Okogie, when he came into this game, he was absolutely incredible. Again, we talked about how uh, at the Sportsman on Twitter, I did post a highlight of him. He had an, an, an absolutely insane uh, series, two, two uh, series in a row. First one was an awesome dunk. He made a fake, drove in, threw a dunk down over the Spurs. Next possession, Luol Deng gets a steal. Those two get a kind of a fast break. There's one defender to beat. He throws it to Kogi, who then throws it back to Dang for the an, for the and one. So it's very, very cool to see. On top of that, though, one thing I don't know that everyone realizes is just how good he's been. Josh Kogi, he is a fantastic passer. So we talk about his defense. We talk about his improved shooting. But watch his passing. Very, very good vision for, for him. And I think that's something we want to watch for going forward. Just how important he could be when he starts to get minutes again. Now, right now, he's kind of an emergency player. But... Hopefully that changes. Another player that's definitely been an emergency player, and I've seen people talk about this, but James Nunnally and how important it is to have a guy like that if you really need a three-pointer. Now, we haven't seen it here, but in this game specifically, they threw him the ball in the corner, and he was he was just ready to go. So his hands are up, just waiting for the pass. Finally gets it, immediately takes the shot. He didn't make it, but it, and it looked a little rushed, but I do appreciate a guy that knows his role. He's in there you know, to hit shots. He is going to be in there to hit three-pointers. That is your role. And now, I don't know that he's done that yet. You know, watching him play, I definitely think he seems a bit out of sorts. But again, when you're only playing spot minutes, it's a little tough to have rhythm. And not everyone is Josh Okoge, as we mentioned, able to come in and play whatever minutes you give him and be successful. You just don't see that from a lot of players. Uh, Two guys early on in the season that really struggled there were Jang and Jones, but we're starting to see them trending in the right direction as well. Moving on to the stats, specifically We'll start off, so the game finished with a final score of 128-89. to The Timberwolves end up taking this one. Absolutely a blowout. I mean, winning by 39 points, as you can see, is a blowout. Starting with the Spurs side of the ball, they shot 39.5% from the field. So you want to talk about how good our defense was? I mean, that tells you right there. Absolutely fantastic. Talked about Wiggins and his great defense. You know, he held DeMar DeRozan. Uh, 4-9 shooting. Now, again, Wiggins isn't the only guy guarding him, but Wiggins did a heck of a job on him. Look at these statistics. DeRozan, minus 22. Bryn Forbes, minus 26. Derek White, minus 22. LaMarcus Aldridge, minus 18. And how about this? Rudy Gay, minus 33. I mean, that's bad, right? I mean, there's not much you can do with that. Looking down the roster, every single player was a minus, and the best players where Quincy Bondexter and uh, Chemezi Metu both were minus five. 
And uh, the close third would, of course, be uh, Patty Mills, who I'm a big Patty Mills fan. And at, at points in this game, I thought he looked pretty good. But, I mean, nobody was looking good the way we were playing defense. Uh, it, this was a game that was just meant to be won. Speaking of meaning to win, the game has gone final in the background. End, end of regulation, the Minnesota Timberwolves do beat the Boston Celtics in this simulation, 42-35. to 35. Keep in mind, these are a lot less quarters. These are six-minute quarters as opposed to what you're normally getting in an NBA game. Let's say we extrapolate that to doubles. Uh, you're talking about possibly somewhere in the realm of like 84-70. So the way we've been playing defense, I, I, I definitely don't think we're going to hold the Celtics to 70 points necessarily. That seems unlikely. But, you know, if you can hold them to the 80, you know, high 80s, low 90s, that'd be pretty good, just like you did with the Spurs. So uh, before we move back on to the stats, I'll just throw that out there. That is my prediction. I do think the Wolves do find a way to beat the Boston Celtics tonight at the Target Center. Looking back at, at some of the specifics, Rudy Gay, how about this? One of five. You have Aldridge, five of 11. DeRozan, four of nine. Bryn Forbes, two of nine. Patty Mills, two of seven. Bellinelli, three of 11. One of the only guys that was actually a bit efficient would have been Jakob Pertl. Seven of 11, 64% from the field. Just a minus 16 in this game. I say just a minus 16. He finishes with 14 points, eight rebounds. So... Pretty pretty impressive. The Wolves were able to force 18 turnovers, and they were able to score points off those turnovers, which ends up being a huge uh, way to win in the modern NBA. Uh, jumping over to the Wolves side, it definitely get you definitely get a different tail of the tape. How about this? Robert Covington plus 44. Let that sink in for a second. Plus 44. He has been absolutely incredible lately. 21 points, 9 rebounds, an assist, 0 turnovers, a steal, and 2 blocks. I mean, you can't ask for a guy to do much more than that. How about this stat? Josh Okoge, 10 minutes. He had 12 points, 3 of 4 from 3, 2 rebounds, and 2 assists. No turnovers, a steal. He had 3 fouls, being a little aggressive, but when you're coming at the end of the game, I think you can afford to do that. So, very, very impressive from those two players. Uh, looking at some of the other guys, Jeff Teague was a plus 24. We talked about how he looked like he had some improved defense in this one, and it definitely showed on the court. Surprisingly, I look at some of these stats too. Nine assists from Jeff Teague, absolutely fantastic passing the ball. Just three of five shooting, but you know we'll take sixty percent from the field. Nothing wrong with that. Seven points. Uh, Wiggins, a plus nineteen. You love that. Three rebounds, just one assist. You'd like to see those numbers continue to increase. Uh, the one thing that was nice in this game is that the highest starter was thirty minutes. So it's good to see players are not getting overused, which is uh, which is something you really like to see. Because the bench has been absolutely phenomenal. Derrick Rose, uh, plus 13, 6 of 8 from the field with 16 points. He had 2 assists and 1 rebound as well. Tyus Jones, 8 assists. So how about that? Between Jeff Teague and Tyus Jones, your starter and your backup, 17 assists. And as a team, only 8 turnovers. So let that sink in. Very impressive. Tyus Jones, 0 turnovers. Jeff Teague with just 1. So when your point guards are able to have an assist-to-turnover ratio that good, you're going to win basketball games. Three-point line, we continue to shoot a lot of threes, which is awesome. 18-41, 43.9, so basically 44%. Not great from the free-throw line, 10-15 for 66.7%. You'd like to get a little more consistent from there, and you'd like to continue to go to the line a lot. But in a game like this, uh, there's really nothing to complain about. Absolutely fantastic. Carl Towns able to get his 11th double double of the season. Finishes with 13 points, eight rebounds. Sorry, thir- 
16 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, fantastic. Four turnovers, which isn't great. That's half the team's turnovers. But you had, a, you had two steals, you had a block in there, and we're going to let him slide with his plus 18. Again, your final score, 128 to 89. So a fantastic game for the Timberwolves. And we're hoping that tonight's game against the Celtics goes just like they have it going in 2K and the Wolves are able to get a win. Thanks for joining us for this episode. And until next time, let me get a howl. Introducing the Roadcaster Pro Podcast Production Studio. The Roadcaster Pro is a true world-first all-in-one console solution for podcasters of all levels. Featuring four microphone channels, Bluetooth, USB, and TRRS inputs, eight color-coded sound effect pads, four high-power headphone outputs, and more. The Roadcaster Pro is professional podcasting made easy. Available in stores this December. Visit www.road.com for more information. Once again, that's www.rode.com.